welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, 18 through 24. When I say the word Christian, what comes to your mind? What I mean by Christian is to be a Christian. What comes to your mind? What do you associate being a Christian with? What do you, you can say it out loud. What is it? What is it? Okay, Christians are those that believe that Jesus died. That's right. Okay, anything else? What? Followers of God. Okay. Word association with Christian. There's no right answer here. Well, I guess there somewhat is, but I don't think you're going to get it wrong. Okay, they, they hold to the Bible. They hold to the scriptures. and Yes, that's right. A Christian holds to the word of God. What else? Huh? The gospel? Yeah? That's right. They pray. Christians pray. You know, I'm sure not believers. What do you think about I guess they pray. They're the ones that are praying. That's good. Yeah? Yep. Okay, they're, they're, they're followers of Christ. They, they want to be like Christ. Christian. Christ is in there. Yep, yes, that's good. Yeah, resurrection. There you go. One in the front, one in the back. Good job. Anything else? Yeah, they go to church on Sundays. They do that weird thing. They sing. They like to sing. There's another one. All right, there's, there's a lot of things, right? Maybe some people would say um, hypocrite, bigoted, right? These are the negative ones. Uh, they would say good person. Maybe they're kind. Christians are pacifists, you know, maybe. But I think that if you were to take a poll amongst mo- most people and do a word association with the word Christian, or what it means to be a Christian, how many people would say the word fighter? Probably not many, right? And yet, the Bible is chock full with analogies and illustrations for the Christian life that have to do with warfare, that have to do with fighting the good fight. Um, And especially in our passage, we're going to be talking about that, what it looks like, whoa, what it looks like to fight. The Bible is clear that when a sinner is saved by grace through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago, and he rose again, when someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that they are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so what the Bible is trying to show us is that there's two kingdoms that everyone is either in. They're either in a kingdom of darkness, ruled by the love of man, ruled by Satan, let's just say, it's the city of man, the kingdom of man, and it, and it leads to destruction. And then there's the kingdom of Christ, which is ruled by the love of Christ, and it leads to eternal life. And these two kingdoms have been at war since the very beginning. And Jesus Christ has dealt the victory blow, 
And, and he has saved for himself a people called the church. But he has ascended into heaven, and there will be a time when he comes back. And in between that time of Jesus' death and resurrection and his return, the church, the church has been planted in enemy territory. And they're called to be militant, or the church triumphant. Yes, we're triumphant, but we're also called to be militant. Now, when you think of militant, what word comes to mind? Military, okay? That's right, it's a good picture. Now, but the way that the church is a militant church is not through guns and ammo and tanks, but by spiritual things and spiritual means, putting on the whole armor of God, which is what we've been talking about. And last week, we looked at the one weapon that we are given, the sword of the Spirit. But the question remains is this, how do we use the armor? How do we use it? What would you say to a country who spends billions and billions of dollars on weaponry, has the best technology in weaponry, has everything that you would ever want, the most advanced uh, technological feats when it comes to weapons, and they, they enter into a war with another, another country, but they don't actually use those weapons. What they do instead is they talk about the weapons that they have. Guys, we got, we got the best tanks, the best aircraft, the best ships, everything. That's all they did, and they, they didn't even use it. What would you say? It's kind of foolish. You're going to get destroyed. But I think a lot of people in the Christian church are like that. You. We like to talk about the spiritual armor that we have. The victory that we have. Right? The sword of the spirit. But are we actually using it? Are we actually using the armor of God in our lives? And tonight... I want to look at the way that we actually use the armor, the way that we actually use the weaponry that God has provided Christians, and that is through militant prayer. Militant prayer. Okay, usually when people think of prayer, it's serene, it's quiet, it's, uh, you know, it's peaceful. But I, there is an aspect, at least in the context of this passage, that prayer comes in the midst of spiritual warfare. And it is the means by which we put on the armor of God and use it. Look at verse 18. Let's read the text together. So Paul just said, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Then what does it say? What's the first word in verse 18? Come on, with boldness, guys. Come on. Praying. Praying. So we are to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of, the, of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer. And supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What word did you hear a couple times there? All. Oh, there you go. I emphasized it for you. And then verse 19, Paul then switches and says, and also pray for me. That my words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Remember, he's in prison. He's asking for prayer for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may pray for me that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I'm going to stop there. Militant prayer. Ian Bounds, a theologian, he says this, what the church needs today is not more machinery or, or better machinery or not new organizations or new buildings or more novel methods or, or more games or anything like that. But, but what the church needs is, is men and women who the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit can use. And that is men and women of prayer. Men and women mighty in prayer. That's what the church needs today. I'm convinced of that. And so what is prayer? 
Good question. The Westminster Larger Catechism puts it this way. Prayer is offering up our desires unto God. Prayer is offering up our desires unto God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ by the help of the Spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercy. So prayer, I love that. It is the offering. You could speak out loud. You could pray out loud. We do that sometimes. But then also you could pray silently. But in prayers, what we're doing is we're offering up our desires, our affections, the, the secret inner thoughts of our lives, right? The emotions, the affections that we have unto God. And we're calling out to him for help in faith with confession. We're confessing our sins and we're, we're praising him with thankful acknowledgement of his mercies, and we do so in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus by the help of the Holy Spirit. That is prayer. And so in this text, Matthew Henry says that prayer is that which buckles on the armor of God. So prayer, some people think prayer is a weapon. Eh, I, could, I could roll with that, but prayer is the thing that brings it all together. It's the way that we use the armor of God. It's, it, it, is, it is the way that we fight. How do Christians fight? The Navy fights on the ocean, right? They have ships, right? They, they, they're, they're, their expertise is in the ocean. Army is on the land. Air Force is on in the air. Christians fight on their knees. We fight by prayer. That is how we fight. And so what are the marks? So that's what prayer is. That's what militant prayer is. But what are the marks of militant prayer? And we're going to walk through the text. And we're going to look at four different marks of, of praying that, are, that we're called to do. And the first thing, one of the marks of a militant prayer, is that we are to pray all sorts of prayers, diverse prayers. Look at verse 18. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. What is all prayer? It really means all types of prayer or all kinds of prayer. And so what's really cool is that prayer is, in a sense, it is the way that we fight, but there's different methods. There's different kinds of prayers that we can use. And that's what makes it so powerful. What I love about the Avengers, right? Who's your favorite superhero part of the Avengers? You could just yell it out. Spider-Man, Iron Man, Thor... She-Hulk. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not part of a Avengers. <laughs> Superman is not. That's DC, man. Um, okay, right. Okay, so so what makes what makes the Avengers? Let's bring it in here. So powerful is that they each and every single one of them they have different gifts. They have different superpowers in order to fight. For the same goal. And when they fight together, they're, they're, un, they're an unstoppable force, right? So they have diff, there's different kinds of, of superpowers that they have. Well, in the same way in the Christian life, there's different kinds of prayers. Did you know that? That's not just some formulaic prayer. Yes, we pray the Lord's Prayer, but within the Lord's Prayer, there's kind of different types there. And what I love and I've tried to teach you is the acronym ACTS. It teaches us four different types of prayer. A stands for adoration. There are prayers that just praise God. When you, when you wake up in the morning and you see the sunrise and, and you just say, God, I praise you. You are, you are wonderful. You are awesome. Praise of adoration. You are sovereign. You are good. You are faithful. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer. There's no certain method 
It's just prayers of adoration. There's also prayers of confession, right? When you sin, when you break God's law and you feel guilty and shameful and you know that you've wronged the Lord Jesus Christ and you, you, you hit your knees in prayer and you say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. I'm a sinner. There's also prayers of thanksgiving. I know thanksgiving comes around once a year and it's coming up in November. But that's not the only time that we're thankful. We're called to always give thanks to the Lord. Thank you for the clothes that you've given me. Thank you for the family, the home, the shoes that you get, even the little things. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this meal. Thank you for my friends. See, there's so many different circumstances and different things that you could thank the Lord for, that you could praise Him for. There's all different reasons why you could confess your sins to Him, right? And then the last one, so it's adoration, A, confession, C, T, thanksgiving, S is supplication. And that is just making requests to the Lord. God, I'm in need of this. And it's not only uh, requests for yourselves, but for others. Praying for your friends. Praying for your family. Praying for those that don't know Jesus. We have so much to pray for. And so one of the marks of, of those that are engaged in the battle is that they are using all these kinds of prayers. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And when we do that, we, we, we fight against the enemy. That is how we fight. It's how we take up the whole armor of God. And so that's the first thing. One of the marks of militant prayer is diverse prayers. But then the second thing is constant prayer. Diverse prayer and then constant prayer. When does it say that we are to pray? Verse 18, praying at all what? All times or sometimes? Praying at sometimes? All the time. That's right. In every occasion, that's what that means. So Paul is saying, hey, you need to take up prayer. There's all different kinds of prayer, and you're to pray them all the time, in every season. And what this is really getting at is that prayer isn't just something that you do, and then you kind of leave it, and then you do it another time. What it's really trying to get, what Paul's trying to encourage you in, is that prayer is a lifestyle. It is an everyday thing. We as Christians are characterized by constant prayer. And so prayer is the expression of our communion with God. So how do you know, question, like when it comes to friendships, what are the marks of a friendship with someone? Uh, you, can, you can obviously tell sometimes, hey, that's a real friend. I could tell that they have a really good friendship. I could also tell when there's a very unhealthy friendship. But there is marks to good friendships, right? There is an expression that constitutes friendship. For example, if you were friends with someone that you never talked to, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm great friends with Eli over here. Great friends with him. Sweet, when do you guys hang out? Never. Never talked to him in my life. We're good friends, though. That's not true, Eli. I've talked to you before. But if it were, you'd be like, hold up. You're, you're friends? Really? Why would you say that we wouldn't be friends? Because one of the expressions, one of the ways that you know that you have a friend is that you commune with them. You talk to them. You're engaged with them. Now, what if I told you, Eli, I'm going to just keep using you here, and I'm saying, yeah, me and Eli are friends, but the only time I talk to him and the only time that we commune together and hang out is when he's going through a hard time. It's the only time I talk to him. Any other time, don't really talk to him. You'd be like, yeah, that's not really a good friend because a friend is someone who sticks closer to the brother. It's in every season. It's in all times that you commune with your friends. It's in times of joy. You rejoice with your friends when they rejoice. 
You weep with your friends when they weep, right? When they get a job promotion, when they get a good grade on a test, even when it's better than yours, or, or when, they, when they do make an accomplishment, or when they're, they're growing in Christ, you are, you're with them along the way. A good friend has history with someone. They're committed. They're loyal. Through all types of seasons, they commune. They, they continue to be friends and with them. And you can tell that. There's an intimacy there that is awesome. And we're really bad at friendships today. Which is why it correlates with our relationship with God. We're really bad at praying at all times and all seasons, communing with God. That is the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. You can tell when someone is in communion with the Lord by how much they're, they're praying in all times, in all seasons. Not just when you're going through a hard time. It's typically when we like to pray. It's not bad and you shouldn't feel guilty for praying when you're going through a hard time. But in every season good, okay, the dry seasons, the seasons of despair, seasons of great joy, praying at all times. Constant prayer. So diverse prayer and constant prayer. Constant prayer. The third thing is spirit-filled prayer. In the text we see, it says, I'm in Philippians here, the wind. All right. Uh, It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Praying at all times in the church? What does it say? In the what? In the spirit. So the third mark of militant prayer. So we have diverse prayers, constant prayers, and then we have spirit-filled prayers. So did you know, we're about to do prayer night next week, but did you know that there was, there's a type of prayer that is not spirit-filled? There's a type of prayer that is antithetical to biblical prayer. That is the opposite. You could be praying in such a way that is not honoring to God. How do I know this? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Jesus says this. He gives, he gives some commands to his, his apostles uh, and some warnings here. He says this, Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and at the street corners. And that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for uh, for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So what Jesus is saying is that there is a type of prayer... That is not about the glory of God, but it's about the glory of man. It's about being heard and seen by other people. When we use empty phrases and and, and tons of different words to sound spiritual. Now, I can't judge someone. Someone that you might think is doing that, only God knows their heart. But there is a way that we can pray that is not spirit-filled. That is not according to the spirit. So what does it mean to pray in the spirit? Well, to pray in the Spirit is not an emotional experience, okay? Some people would say to pray in the Spirit means that you need to speak in tongues. You might hear that. That's not true. That means that I've never prayed in the Spirit in my life. No. So what does it mean? What does it mean? Sinclair Ferguson says this, To pray in the Spirit means submitting your mind, thoughts, will, and desires to be influenced and mastered by God's word. Did you hear that? 
To pray in the Spirit means submitting our minds, thoughts, will, and desires to be influenced and mastered by God's Word. So what came right before our passage in Ephesians 6? What, what weapon were we called to take up? Come on, guys. The sword of the Spirit. And then right after that, saying praying at all times. And so we see the Word and we see the Spirit. They go hand in hand. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And so to pray in the Spirit is to pray according to God's Word. He continues on. He says, we thus begin to think God's mind after Him. And we develop instincts that are aligned with His will. And ask for those things that He may that he has revealed that please him and that he promises to do. And so to pray in the Spirit is to pray prayers aligned with the will of God, aligned with Scripture. The Holy Spirit will not answer or hear prayers that are not aligned with his word. And the mission of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, the reason why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, he says in, in John sixteen twelve, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The main role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify and exalt Jesus Christ. And so any prayer that does not lead you to exalt and glorify Jesus Christ in your life, any request, the Holy Spirit is not in it. He doesn't go against his mission. His mission is to align you with the Word of God and to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So if you're praying for that girlfriend or that girl to like you, and that is not going to lead you to glorify Christ more. The Holy Spirit is probably not going to hear that prayer. Make sense? He will only do things that are best in your best interest, for your good and for the glorification of God. He would not cause you to sin. And so praying the scriptures in that case would be like, Lord... <laughs> I feel lonely. I want affirmation. I would love to be married someday. Let's just say that's what the prayer is. But God, my hands are open. I want you to guide me according to your will. And so in the meantime, I'm just going to love your word and I'm going to love the church and I'm going to live for you and I'm going to follow you. That is the type of prayer that we're looking for. That is aligned with God's word. And so what does this look like in, in application? It means to pray the scriptures. It means to pray the scriptures. Pray God's word. Now, in order to live on a day-to-day -day basis, you need to breathe, right? You need to breathe. It's, it's a band. Have you ever heard of it? You need to breathe. You need to breathe. Now, what are the two different actions that you are doing when you are breathing? You are inhaling and you are exhaling. Let's do it together. Inhale. Exhale. Okay. What Paul is calling you to do and what praying in the Spirit is, with the Word of God, is spiritual breathing. Dane Ortland talks about this, that we need the, the oxygen to the Christian life is, is spiritual breathing. And so just as we breathe, we inhale and we exhale, we need the Word of God in prayer, which is our spiritual breathing. We inhale the Word of God and we exhale prayer back to Him. And so we inhale the promises of God and the character of God, then we exhale prayers of adoration. God, you are awesome. We inhale the law of God, which shows us our sin when we're reading the scriptures, and then we exhale prayers of confession. We inhale all the things that God has done for us in his word, and then we exhale thanksgiving. We inhale the fact that God answers prayers and that he is faithful, and then we exhale requests. 
for God to answer. Does that make sense? Spiritual breathing. You cannot live your physical lives without breathing. You cannot live the Christian life without spiritually breathing. Intake of God's word, exhaling in prayer. And so the word of God is to be the thing that fuels your prayer, that guides your prayer. You could pray God's word after him. And in fact, we do this, right? Don't we do this at prayer night? We take the Lord's prayer, we read the scriptures, and then we pray according to his word. That's awesome. That pattern ought to be things that we're doing, that diverse prayers to be constant. It's to be spirit-filled, relying on the Holy Spirit, who Romans 8, 26 says, helps us in our weakness, who prays for us with groanings too deep for words. That's amazing. When you don't know what to pray or how to pray, the Holy Spirit helps you. That's an amazing promise. And so that's the third mark. And the fourth mark here is vigilant prayer. Vigilant prayer. What does it say in the text? It says that we are to pray, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. And so the fourth mark of a, of vig, of a of militant prayer is vigilant prayer. Do you know what vigilant that word comes from? Or do you know what the word vigil comes from? You know what a vigil is? It's kind of a night prayer service. It's really popular in the Roman Catholic Church. But in the early church, when they were so persecuted, they couldn't meet during the day. They had to meet in, at night in order not to, to be killed. And so they would, they would light up houses with candles or buildings with candles or they would meet in catacombs underneath, underneath the church, underneath underground, and they would light it up with, with, with candles. And they were called prayer vigils where they would keep alert through the night and they'd be praying to the Lord. And so Paul is saying, hey, you need to be vigilant. You need to keep alert with all perseverance. You need to be on guard, just like Jesus when he asked the disciples, hey, pray with me that you may not enter into temptation because we're at war. How many of you, if you heard on the news tonight, and it wasn't fake news, okay, and you knew it wasn't, and the news was this, that China was going to invade Rockford, Illinois tomorrow, how many of you would sleep sound tonight? Jack, you would not. You would not, dude. I know you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You would be freaked out. You would be ready. You would be awake. You would be alert, Right? How many of you, if you knew, if you found out somehow that, that there was going to be a criminal that was going to uh, do a home invasion at your home in the middle of the night, and you knew that was going to happen at that night, what would you do to prepare? Would you sleep? Would you fall asleep? Or would you keep alert? You, yeah, exactly. You would keep alert. You'd be waiting all night. But here's the thing. You guys are going home alone right now. You're, you, have, you have a plan written up. Let's bring it in. Middle school boys, we're almost done. We're in a much greater warfare. We're in a much greater battle. Keep alert. Christians are falling asleep. They're drowsy. Are you drowsy? Are we praying? We're seeking the Lord. We're keeping alert with all perseverance. What that means with endurance. Right? Because sometimes when we ask for prayers, though, when we're asking God for, for, for things in our prayer, God, the Father, hears it right away. But you know that there's a time lapse between when we get an answer. And so that's why it says, with all perseverance, we are to endure. We are to keep praying like the persistent widow until God, the Father, answers our prayers. 
So I love this perseverance of George Mueller. He began praying in 1844 for the salvation of five unbelievers. He prayed every day for these five men. And 18 months later, one came to faith in Christ. He thanked God and he continued to pray for the other four. Five years, la- five years elapsed and the second one came to Christ. Can you imagine every day for five years praying for the person that you know in your life that does not know Jesus? For five years he prayed and then the man came to know Christ and he thanked God and he continued to pray for the other three. Six more years passed before the third came to know Christ and he thanked God and continued praying for the remaining two until he died. And he had prayed for them for 52 years every single day. And it was not until after George Mueller's death that these two came to Christ. That is perseverance in prayer. That is what Paul is talking about. And so for many of you who have given up hope on prayer, you've lost faith, this is a call for you to keep going, to keep alert, and to persevere. This is a battle of faith. So those are the marks of vigilant or of militant prayer. Diverse prayer, constant prayer, spirit-filled prayer, vigilant prayer. But who are we to pray for? We'll continue in the text here. It says this, We are to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayer requests for all the who? The saints, believers. So point number two, the objects of militant prayer. We are to pray for all the saints, not just for ourselves, but for other believers. And so with this, there's always a reason to pray. There's always a reason to pray. You may not be going through trials, but there are other people that are. So there's always a prayer request that you can make. There's always something that you could bring to the Lord. You are, to call, you are called to pray for the church. The second thing that we come that we are to pray for, verse 19, Paul says, And also pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that I may be able to declare it boldly, that I, so that I ought to speak. So the second thing, we're called to pray not only for the saints, but also your pastor. And I love this. Paul is asking for two things. Pray that words would be given to me, that I would have a message, and that I would have boldness to proclaim the message. And pray, please, for those things so that I can preach. In other words, if you don't pray, I may not have boldness and I may not have a message to preach. It depends on you. And so when was the last time that you prayed for your pastor? I need prayer. Pastor Gabe needs prayer. Pastor John needs prayer. Why? Because just like Paul, we are men of mighty weakness. Your leaders need prayer. Paul's a great debater and he needs help with words to say. He, he's filled with so much knowledge Yet he needs, he says, pray for me that I may have words to speak, that I may have a message and then pray that I may have boldness. Paul, I thought you were bold as a lion. But he's struggling with fear. Why? Because the message that we have to bring to you and to the church and to people today is not a message that is very popular. And there's always the temptation for pastors to preach to tickling ears, to want to be people pleasers, want to preach things that you want to hear rather than being bold about the truth. And so you need to pray for your pastors. You need to pray for the church's pastors around us. You need to pray for all pastors that they would preach the word with boldness that they may proclaim the mystery of the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He has risen from the dead and He's alive today. 
So this is what Paul is calling us to. Militant prayer. We have this last section. Paul's final greetings. And I find it so ironic that here it's my last message and I get to give my my final prayer for you. And I find it in this text. So let's finish off Ephesians. Verse 21. So that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus was bringing the message. He was bringing the letter to the Ephesians. But here's my prayer, and it's summed up in these last two verses. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith and from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. My militant prayer for you, Redeemer students, my my last time preaching, my last prayer, well, not my last prayer, I'll keep praying these things for you, comes from the five key words from this last verse. This is my hope and my prayer for you. First is that there would be harmony among you brothers and sisters. That's what the word peace means. That there would be peace and unity with God the Father. Remember the whole message of Ephesians is all about uh, God united all things in Jesus Christ by his death and resurrection. That those whom he saves, he unites to himself and that union with Christ creates unity amongst the brothers. And so in order for there to be peace and harmony here, you must be in union and relationship with Christ. And if you are in union with Christ and you are a believer, you have more in common with your brothers and sisters that you hardly talk to in this group than you do with your family members that don't know Jesus Christ. And so there must be peace and harmony amongst this group. Sin destroys peace. Gossip destroys peace and harmony. Secret sins, your secret sins, they affect the peace and unity here. And so I pray for peace and harmony and unity in the gospel, in the truth. The second thing that he says is peace be to the brothers and love. I pray that when people think of Redeemer students, they think, wow, that's a really loving group. And it's not just superficial. Like, no, I mean actual love. It is a love that I've never experienced before because it is a love from God. For we love because God first loved us. And that love is is poured out in a selflessness, in a self-denial, in a sacrificial servant heart. We have it really good here. And so what that can create is spoiled, brat, church-going people instead of loving people who know that they have been saved by grace and by the love of Jesus Christ and that they deserve none of that love and so they want to love others with a love unconditional. And so you making fun of one another, that is not loving. That is not my prayer for you. My, My prayer for you is that this would be a genuine place of love in a loveless world. Third, peace be to the brothers and love with faith. Faith. That you would be students who seek the unseen things and not the seen things of this world. That you would find rest in Jesus Christ alone. That you would say that I've been saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, not my works. And so that this would be a group that you would be a student that looks to Christ, that rests in Christ, that clings to Christ. And that you would live your life by faith, knowing that this is hard, but one day Christ will return. And we have that hope, and it is a guaranteed hope. Peace, love, faith, trust, reliance. Fourth, grace. Grace. 
the first sermon I ever preached here was about the thief on the cross who had not lived a day for Jesus Christ. He had not done nothing good in his life. He was a wicked man. But on that cross, he turned to Jesus Christ and he said, remember me. Remember me in paradise. And in that very moment, though that man had done nothing to deserve grace, salvation, forgiveness, Jesus lavished it upon him. Upon him, And it is true for all of you that are saved here. It is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of grace. And Ephesians is all about that. That you've been saved by grace through faith. It is not of your own doing, but it is a gift of God. And so may Redeemer students be known for, uh, as, a, as a group that preaches and talks about and, and prays about and, and, and preaches and shares the gospel about grace. The grace of Jesus Christ. And nothing else. Not our works. But grace, grace found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the grace of God who has appeared. May the gospel be your prized possession. That when you would get upset if it's not preached. You should. Peace, love, faith, grace. And the last thing is Jesus Christ. Grace be with all you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with the love incorruptible. My prayer is that you would come to be known as those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with the love incorruptible. You could have all this world, but give me Jesus. Ignatius, student of the Apostle John, Bishop of Antioch in the first century in the early church, he said this as he was about to be put to death. He said, let fire... And the cross, let the companions of wild beasts, let breakings of bones and tearing of the members of my flesh, let the shattering and pieces of the whole body and all the wicked torments of the devil come upon me. Only let me enjoy Jesus Christ. Only let me enjoy Jesus Christ. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I want more of him. He is my treasure. I want to behold him. I want to glory in him. I want to know him more. I want to spend the rest of my days worshiping him. That you would be a people that's about Jesus Christ. And so when I came to you, brothers and sisters, six years ago, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I was just a 23-year-old kid. But I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That has been my message. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might be not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. No, Christ and Him crucified. That is our message. And so, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for these last six years thank you for this passage just so thankful for your goodness your grace and even now as we sing these last two songs just all about jesus all about him i pray that we would lift our voices loud for the king i love you lord this ministry is in your hands in jesus name amen